Amen. I'm so glad you're here today. If you have a Bible, meet me in Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. Lots to say today. I know that you're thinking that every week. That's not different than what I do every week. Apparently my wife thinks that's the way it goes every week. So I added an extra page of notes just for her. And she can tell me about it later. Everybody's got jokes till they got to do it. You know, (laughs) I'm just kidding. Not kidding at all. It's a big time for sports fans. It's March Madness. Yes. Bracket fillers. Where are you? Bracket fillers. How many of you would love to be a person who fills out a bracket, but it's too stressful for you? You can't handle that? Nobody. You're all confident. This is a sermon for you. All right. It's another reason that's a big time sports moment. If you're not a sports person, bear with me for about two minutes. But if you are a sports fan, we were mourning just a few months ago. Am I right? We were mourning the loss of the goat. Josh sold his tickets. I mean, we were mourning the loss of the goat. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I am not referring to an animal. I'm referring to the greatest NFL player of all time. I didn't ask for your opinion. (laughs) Tom Brady retired. Okay. However, just a few days ago, he's back from the dead. I'm just kidding. (laughs) You're like, this is getting oddly close to a different story. But he's back. And so I'll... It's tough. It's tough. We're going to pray those back into your life. I'm not sure God cares, but (laughs) we'll talk about that later. Tom Brady's caused some confusion over the last few years. There's this thing that has been going around since he left New England and came to Tampa Bay. And there's been a general unacceptance in New England that he's ours, that he's ours, that we've been grafted into the long standing legend that is Tom Brady. And I want to show this to you. So Jordan, put up the first picture. This is proof of the confusion that's happening. Give me that first one. Have you seen these? Have you seen these? This is, this is confusion at its finest. You see, because when Tom Brady gets up in the morning... He does not put on a New England Patriots jersey. That's over. Old things are gone. You're like, Pastor, you're walking the edge. But look at this next picture. I mean, it is a it is an aspect of worship, is it not? Look at look at this. Some of you were just worshiping like that as we sang to Jesus. You were doing the frisbees? Spinning the plates, right? Confused. Confused. But it was a big deal when he came back. It was a big deal when he came back because we were confused as sports fans as to what our beloved Buccaneers would do. Praying against bringing Jameis Winston back. We're just all the things. All right, I'm done with my sports analogies. (laughs) 
It's a silly way to think about confusion, but it's an illustration nonetheless, right? Like, if I was to ask you, silliness aside, have you ever been confused in your life? It's a very specific question because we've all had things that we couldn't quite figure out, that we, we couldn't quite grasp, we couldn't realize why it happened. Maybe, maybe you've prayed and you, you got an answer from God, but the, the answer was, was no. And it's confusing. We could go into so many different parts of your life. And if I was to ask you if there's anything confusing, like, like what does it mean to be confused? It means that there's things in your life that aren't clear. Even even the Bible is is helpful for us in this because it says right now we see things dimly as in a mirror. Like we we don't have the full picture of what life in the kingdom come will look like. And so there are these things, these places where God asks us to trust when things are confused. And I I, I wonder if I went around to every single one of you and asked. Where is the place that isn't clear? Where is the place that God's asking you to trust? What would you say? And then I would argue that when you come to this particular part of Galatians chapter 4, the last half of it, verse 21 to 31, Paul is just going to continue pushing this idea that he is so confused why these Christians, why these Galatian people are turning back to what they were just set free from. And you, you and I, like, we, we read the scripture and we're like, yeah, like, that was dumb. But I just wonder if today you need to reread this scripture with eyes as though you didn't already know the story. See, because a lot of you grew up like me. You, you grew up a Christian. You've, you've known for a long time you should be in church. You've known a lot of things about church. You might have even gone to a Christian school or done some things like that. Or maybe you've just been reading and, and you have the ideas. You know, theoretically... That there's nothing that you can do to earn the love of God, right? Like the songs that we just sang, you know in your mind that those things are true. You, you, you were singing, there's another in the fire and you're like, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. I knew it right away. That's not their real names though. Right? They had different names. They were changed. By the pagans, right? Like, you know all the info, but I wonder, have you ever really considered that there was another person in that fire? And that God is the same, Scripture says, yesterday, today, and forever. And so when we studied just a couple weeks ago that God sends the spirit of his son into our hearts crying Abba Father that we are literally a part of that story of there being another in the fire. 
But in Galatians 4, Paul is confused. He's really confused as to why anyone who has that knowledge would ever submit to anything else. And, and, and he's, he's going to push even farther and he's going to talk about one of the great icons of the Jewish faith in Abraham. And he already talked about that, but he's going to give a really specific example about Abraham's life to be sure that you and I, and to be sure that these people know that Abraham is not the hero of the story. And so when you come to verse 20, which was the end of last week, that was literally the last thing he said. He said, I am perplexed about you. Because they're going back to live by this set of rules, this set of laws that they didn't need to be. And so Paul made that argument. And we're not going to go through it again, but he basically says the just or those who are uh, Christians live by faith. And so, so here we are in Galatians chapter 4, and he asks a really important question in verse 21. Here's what it says. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, why would you desire to be under the law? Because you can see it. It doesn't require your faith. It doesn't require your trust. Right? It's like that guy who had a son who he needed Jesus to heal when Jesus was walking on earth. And he comes and he looks Jesus in the eye and he says, I need you to help my son. And Jesus asked him a question because he could see Jesus. He could touch Jesus. But what does he do? He doesn't. Jesus doesn't go with him and heal his son. What does he ask him? He says, do you what? Believe. And he says, I do believe. But can you help my unbelief too? Because that's the reality in which we live. And so when we read stuff like this, you who desire to be under the law, it blows right past us because we don't live by those laws. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. So if you missed that, you can go back and, and hear some of the differences between the three kinds of laws that they would have lived by. But the bottom line is there was just a whole way of life that Jesus had set his people free from and invited all of us to come and be a part of and leave behind some of those things that were not of freedom because Jesus set us free. And yet, so often, we will submit to those things anyway. And here's the reality. Even though ours aren't about like what you should eat, where you should go, how you should do. Like, even though those aren't our things. I mean, you ladies didn't come to church today with your head covered. Right? And so we, we don't do those things. But, but can I just be honest with you? There's a whole different set of laws for Christian people that we live by. There is. Camden was joking and mentioned, you know, like we all, like if you grew up in church or different things, you, you know what we're talking about, right? Like why is the joke about the pastor's wife having a job description that's unwritten funny? Because we've all seen it, right? Like 
we, we, that's a stereotype because it's a stereotype because it happens. And that was just a silly joke. But if we were to go into your life and look at your past and look at your present and look at your future and, and ask the question, where have you surrendered to a yoke of slavery? I bet we could find it. For some of us, it's spiritual or sinful or interpersonal relationships or depression or we could we go on and on. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's you fill in the blank. But there for sure, and especially around church people, because we're the worst. (laughs) There's these unwritten rules that we're supposed to follow. Right, and so, so the question comes from Paul in the rest of verse 21. He says, tell me you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? What a great question. You who want to be under the law, or you who are following all those other rules and things of that nature, have you actually listened to it? Because if you haven't, You should. (laughs) If you haven't, you should. Because here's what he says. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free one was born through promise. Verse 24 says, Now this may be interpreted allegorically. That's a bad translation comes from two Greek words and they put them together and just made them sound good and they, so they came up with allegory. But an allegory is something that isn't true that is being used to communicate something that could be true. That's not what's happening here. It's a bad translation. A lot of our English translations have it. But the two Greek words that are there just mean to speak about something publicly and another. So what Paul's doing is actually just giving an illustration. So if you want to write that down, that's actually really important to this because if it's just an allegory, it doesn't have to be true. But that's not what's happening here because these are real people who walked through a real situation and really screwed up. And that's important for you to know that there weren't some heroes and giants of the faith that went before you and they made it into the Bible because they had things figured out that you don't. They actually don't. In fact, if we were going to keep score, some of them are probably, most of them are probably worse than you. And so here he is, he says, these women are two covenants. One's from Mount Sinai, bearing the children for slavery, and she is Hagar. Now Hagar is in Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear, break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers are like Isaac. your children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. In other words, things right now are not the way they're supposed to be. But what does scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit 
with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Paul says, tell me, and remember he's confused at the end of verse 20 about why people have gotten sucked back into this thing that he so passionately helped them get out of. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, don't you listen to the law? Who's he talking to? There's this group called Judaizers who, who have come from Jerusalem with their laws and their rules and their prohibitions and all the things that these people are supposed to do and not do. The sins of omission, the sins of commission. All I'm, I'm doing all the things I shouldn't do. I'm not doing the things I should do. All the things. And they're going to make sure that these Gentile Christians, these Galatian people who don't know anything about the real, true Christianity are going to follow all the rules. You might have grown up that way. Where your church experience was more about what you're doing and not enough about what God's doing. Yeah, that resonates. (laughs) But the center of our Christian faith is not about what you and I are doing at all. We're not the hero of the story. Jesus is. And so Paul's saying we're not slaves to that. We're free in Christ. And so he says you're going to go back to all of that. Do you actually know what it says? You see, because Jesus, when he showed up, said, I didn't come to get rid of the law. I didn't come to get rid of it at all. It's actually still good. But it's not good for you because you can't do what it demands. Right? So, thou shalt not kill, we're still for. Right? Don't covet your neighbor's wife, we're, we're pro that. Right? Like, we haven't thrown everything out, but Jesus says, I came to fulfill the law. Why? Because the law can't deliver on its demands the rules are simply there to help us realize that we are not who we are supposed to be and again i think that is something if you rolled into church today the chances are maybe you're watching online you already know that but the question is and what paul's perplexed by is though you know that why are so many of us Not living like that. And we we experience this every day because we think about how we look to other people. We think about what we need to do to find purpose in our life. But we just sang it and Jamie talked about it, right? Like, if he clothes the lilies... How much more does your Father in Heaven love you? And yet, what do we do every single day, sometimes every hour of every day, is we think about what we look like to other people. And that can be in so many different avenues that we don't have time to cover. But I'm just going to trust that you can be mature enough to personalize that for you and your situation but every single one of us does it and we could then go beyond that and start talking about 
the desires of the flesh. How are we satisfying our flesh as opposed to the spirit? And we could, we could continue to go, but these Judaizers, these people who were Jews trying to reel in Gentiles to what they were doing, and more than that, these Christians who have been misled and confused, they're going back to all these rules. And Paul's asking, do you really want to go back under that? And if I was to ask you, do you really want to live under the slavery of what you're living under? Right? Like, what is that in 21st century United States of America right here in Tampa Bay? What is that? It's self-actualization. I see, I want, I will get. If I could boil down our cultural mindset into a statement, that's what it would be. I see that, I want that, I will plan and I will attain that. And here's the scary part. You can probably do all those things. That's what makes it scary. You and I, we, we, actually, we actually probably can create a blueprint to get whatever we want. But over and over and over and over in Scripture, we're told to deny ourselves what we want. Why, are, why do we talk about Lent? Did you forget we were in Lent? <laughs> Some of you are like, no, I'm not eating chocolate. I didn't forget about Lent. Why do we talk about that? Because the church for thousands of years has recognized that there has to be a season where we say no to ourselves. And has that ever been more important than now? where we literally have everything we could possibly want at our fingertips. And we could, we could keep going on, but, but here's, here's the reality is, is this is actually confusing because when we talk about the pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness, and then we compare it to slavery, we start to recognize that this is confusing because that pursuit actually does bring with it this little bit of a false sense of freedom. Right? Because Hebrews 11.25 talks about it. It says, there are these fleeting pleasures of sin. That it actually is confusing because there are some things that we like in this world. And they give us this false sense of freedom. But Jesus said that that kind of life is built on sand. Why? He said the wise man, you, you ever sung the little kid's song back in Sunday school? Anybody? The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. Right? The foolish man built his house upon the sand. Come on, somebody. We're having church now. Right? Then what's the song say? The rains came down and the floods came up. Come on, everybody now. Came down and the right? But what happens to the guy who built his house on the sand? When the rains came and the floods came, what's that called? Life. Every day of life. If you've built your life on sand, if you have all the toys but no substance, what happens when the rains of life come? What happens when you lose your job and you can't pay for the toys? What happens when you get a cancer diagnosis? What happens when your loved one passes away from coronavirus? What happens when a pandemic comes and shuts down your business for two years? What if you're built on sand? What does the, what does the song say? 
gets washed away, right? But what happens if your house is built on the rock? Man, those, those winds and rains can beat on that all they want. But that house will stand. Because it's not built on sand. It has a foundation to it. Right? And what, what's so great about a foundation? A foundation is something you can't see. The foundation is buried beneath. It's, it's under everything else. And so it's not to say that you shouldn't have a great job or that you shouldn't have a house or shouldn't have whatever it is that God has allowed you to accumulate. The point is those things don't matter because if a storm comes and you have no foundation, it won't stand. That stuff will go away right now. What have you built your life on? So, so Paul's just attacking this idea that just because you're Jewish or just because Abraham's your ancestor, that you're in. That, that that's good enough. That if you just dot your I's and cross your T's, that you're in. It doesn't work like that. So the illustration comes in verse 22 that, that Abraham had two sons. It's so important because just because you're Jewish or just because you're Catholic or just because you are scientific these days, that's our religion. Just because you're whatever doesn't mean you're free. Doesn't mean you're saved. But what about these two sons? Why this weird illustration in between some incredible passages of Scripture? Because Paul's confused. <laughs> Paul's like, you guys, you guys got two jerseys on. <laughs> you stitched together two things that, that aren't supposed to be together. No, you were wearing the law and Jesus set you free, gave you a new jersey. The Bible says that we are clothed in Christ. Therefore, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So Paul just keeps attacking this. But here, here's, the, here's the synopsis. And if you want to read about it, it's in Genesis 15, 16. And you should take time to do that because it's, it's powerful. And to spend time there and, and just think through that story. But here's the bottom line. is God had promised Abraham descendants. And that was a huge deal in that culture. If you didn't have kids, if you didn't have offspring, if you couldn't carry on your family line, your family name, you really had nothing. You really had nothing. You didn't have the one thing that everybody wanted. And so God says you're going to have descendants and that was a huge deal. And Jesus would ultimately come out of this line. So if God didn't fill this promise to Abraham, guess who doesn't come? Jesus. And so this is a big deal. But Abraham and Sarah, his wife, they were old. <laughs> I think Abraham was like 100 and Sarah was like 90 at the time. They were old. And so God comes and tells Abraham this promise and Abraham tells his wife. And, and you know what she does? She does what every good wife does when their husband says something stupid. <laughs> Can I get an amen to church? She starts laughing at him. She's like, what you... I never remember the first time I told Cam that I wanted to plant a church. She looked at me and she said, that wasn't God. <laughs> I'm not Mr. Entrepreneur at all. 
That's why I joke sometimes. When I get up here and turn around and you're here, I'm like, <laughs> thanks, guys. <laughs> she laughs at him. But the problem was she wasn't just laughing at Abraham, right? She didn't believe that God could do what he said he could do. And I wonder if you sit here and say to me, I know that the scripture says I'm free, but I don't believe that God can set me free. Let's just cut to the heart of the issue. Most of us trust ourselves more than we trust God. And I'm preaching to myself. Most of us trust ourselves more than we trust God. And that's what Paul's telling these Galatian people. And so he's using this incredible illustration because here we have God making this illustration with Abraham. And Abraham could have never known that he was being used for an illustration, but we do. And so here, here it comes. Ishmael is born to Hagar and Ishmael is an illustration of our flesh. It's our natural person chasing the natural things that our natural person wants to do. The promise to Abraham and Sarah was clear, right? God is going to give you a son, but it's going to have to be supernatural. I'm going to ask you to trust me because Sarah, you're too old to have kids. We're past that stage of life. You're too old. But God makes the promise because it's going to have to be supernatural. But here's the reality. They don't want to wait on God. So Sarah pulls control back into her camp. And she says, how can I get a son for Abraham even though I can't give him a son? She didn't stop to think, God, what, how are you going to do that? Right, Because the same thing would happen to another girl named Mary who was too young to have a kid. Right? Not physically, but circumstantially. And she was told, you're going to miraculously give birth to a son. And she responded differently, didn't she? <laughs> and so... They don't want to wait on God. They want to do it their way. So the flesh rejects the promise of God and takes by its own power what God had promised to give. And here's the reality. God allows it to happen. It's a scary thing when God gives you what you want, isn't it? One child is the child of the flesh. The other child, Scripture says, is a child of the promise. That's Isaac, and he's born to Sarah. Because by the time he's born, Abraham and Sarah are very old, 190-ish. But God supernaturally creates that child in her womb. And Ishmael was born according to the flesh on their own terms. And Isaac is born through the promise of God. Ishmael is born naturally, you might say. Isaac is born supernaturally. So Paul asked that question, right? Why would you? Why would you, who are children of the promise, children who are free, try to accomplish the purpose God has for your life according to your own power? And we do it every single day. 
every day. Followers of Jesus have been set free. It's a question of freedom. Free from the slavery of self-actualization. Are you aware that you can make your plans from a place of freedom? What am I talking about? When you put up what you would like to accomplish and then you crucify it to the cross of Christ. Because what happens when he says no? That's the sign. That's the tell. That's the issue. A lot of times God will say yes because he's a good dad. Do my kids need everything that I have in our house for them? Heck no. Why do I do it? Because I love them. I want them to flourish. You know what else I've done? I put up a fence around my backyard. Why? Because I've had little kids. And how many of you know, those little kids, wherever there's a fence, I want out of that fence. <laughs> have a yard full of toys, but what do they want? I want out to the street. But we put up a fence because what? We know what's best for them. Is freedom for your toddler to open the fence and let them run? Is that freedom? Sort of. They can do whatever they want. They're free to run. Free to wander. That's a bumper sticker, by the way. Born to wander. Yeah, you sinner. (laughs) You're right, you are. Welcome back. (laughs) But we do, every day, we wander, we wander, we wander. That's the freedom the world wants. And, and like I said before, Hebrews is honest. There are fleeting pleasures to sin. If you become really rich and really successful and gain a lot of power for yourself, you will have fun. But it's built on sand. It's built on sand. It's a false freedom. It's a delusion. And see, the problem that happens too is there's this kind of hostility towards absolute truth and to Christianity because... When you run the show, anything that threatens to run the show and take it from you becomes a threat. Why does the world hate Christianity so much? Why does the world hate Jesus so much? Right? Why did Jesus say, in this world you will have trouble? Why does Jesus say, they hated me, they will also hate you? Why does he say that? Because it's a threat to our power. And it only gets clearer as the days go by. But there is a kingdom freedom being offered. Look at what it says here in verse 26. It says, Jerusalem above, oh, she's free. (laughs) She is free and she is our mother. Why? Because that false Christianity, that, that false sense of life, There's actually real life available to you in God's kingdom. Verse 27, For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. What does scripture say? Jesus says, If you will yoke with me, and I with you, my burden is light, my yoke is easy. What does that even mean? It means that you're going to go through all the fields of life that you were going to go through. You just won't do it by yourself. Right? 
You're still, you still need a job. You still need to send your kids to school. You still need to find a date. You still need to go to prom. You still need to find, you know, get, get a master's degree. Whatever it is you're going through. You still have to do all those things. Those things don't go away. But what does go away is the burden of self-actualization. That I'm going to go into that field and I'm going to plow it for myself. And by the time you get to the end of that field, you're dead. Because what does scripture say? The wages, the payment of sin is what? Death. Spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and eventually physically. I love this. Verse 29, but just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. It's happening. Persecution, suffering, it's part of our story here. Persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. What does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Kingdom culture changes from be perfect to he is perfect. God's moral law and practical principles are are just like that fence that gets put up. Right? There, There are some things that God lays out that if you will do these things, he'll bless them. That that hasn't gone away. But the reality is, is many of us are not thinking about those principles that God puts out there from a place of freedom. Where I get to do these things. I get to bring this. I get to use this. I get to steward this. No, we are actually trying to use all those things that are good gifts from the Father above to fulfill our own destiny. Let me say it to you simply. We want outside the fence. We do. We can't help it. But here's what's scary. He'll let you out. He'll let you out. But that's the worst place to be. In that false sense of freedom. So let me me ask you the question. Let me ask you the question. Are you, not somebody else, you, your life, are you trying to get outside the fence? Are you trying to get outside the fence? God has given you everything you need in Christ. He's clothed you in Christ. But here's the reality in this culture of self-actualization. So many of us every day are trying to get outside the fence. And I just wonder whether you're in the room, whether you're watching online. Are you trying to get outside the fence? His spirit or my flesh? My flesh. 